for all seasons in the church's life, but particularly for the season of Christmas and the advent of all that leads up to Christmas. Music is such a gift. It comes in all kinds of different ways and impacting us at different times. It's almost like the preparation for the celebration of the coming of Christ has begun even before we recognize it. The cry of the psalmist in the scripture that Cindy read relates to that. It relates to us from the Old Testament perspective, the one who is crying out for God to come and to protect him from his foes. is a cry with a, a heart that leans into the fact that he's a person of God, a part of the people of God. And because of that, he believes in what he is asking God to do, that God will deliver him, will be his salvation in the event that he's praying about. That's an interesting perspective from the Old Testament perspective when they did not yet really hold on to nor understand the idea of eternal life that went beyond this human earth. But rather it was prayed with a heart of faithful people who believed with a fervor that we could only imagine that they would be delivered by the God who had saved his people, even from the present realities that they were struggling with. It's hard for me to grasp that, the other side of Christ, before Christ came, and yet the psalmist held on to it. Okay, I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do it badly, so I'm just warning you before I do it. You can correct me after the service, not during while I'm telling the story. That includes my dear wife, Sally. Last night we were watching a show that I watched once one time and said, I'm not going to watch that one. I don't need to watch Code Black. Code Black is the name of a new drama about the emergency room in a hospital in Los Angeles. I'm sure it's fictitious in nature, but yet based on some kind of reality where 300 times out of 365 days, they present this um, emergency room as being in Code Black, which meant they were overrun with people, uh, too much for the staff to care for. I can't imagine that being a reality without something being done about it, but that is the premise of the show. The thing about the show is that Bugsby is, once I started watching it and getting into a little of the characters, they are quite the cast, and they are terribly, uh, terribly interesting in their struggles with life and death, because after all, life, death, and relationships is what emergency rooms do. They bring all that out in us at unexpected times. Last night, we were watching a character was brought in who could not speak and had not been able to sing. Now, this character had played, I think it was for 17 years, and here I go with details, and you know how much I love details. On stage, he had been the voice of the singing lion, Mufasa. He had been the one who sang his parts. He was a great, huge African-American man. He was lying on this table, and the doctors were analyzing his condition. He had a cyst filled with infection right between his vocal cords and right next to his aorta very touchy to release. And yet if they didn't release the poison, it was certain that he would not sing again. And yet if they released the poison, it was also probable that he might not sing again. And yet his wife said, but his singing is who he is. And it just lay there in the air after she said that. Now you and I know better than that. We are so much more than what it is we do on this earth. We are so much more because we have been created in the image of God and made in his likeness. Anything we may do on this earth, as lovely and beautiful as that may be, does not in any way sum up the complexity of what it means to be created in the image of the God himself who breathes into us life. And yet many people believe that they are their work and that their work is them. 
People call me by my work name all the time. Pastor, preacher. I don't stop them every one and say, I'm more than a preacher. I'm more than a pastor. If they know me very well, they already know that. I'm more than my calling, although my calling is who I am, yes. And it defines much of my life, but I am much more than that. I am a creation from God. I'm a complex human filled with frailties and faults like every other human. And in this story, as they proceeded along the way, they got ready to do the surgery, and they went in to puncture that little pus pocket. Fortunately, when they did, even though everything sped out and immediately seemed successful right after that, the blood rushed forth, and there was a fear that he might might die right there. But they had punctured the aorta. In fact, the young doctor who had performed the little surgical procedure was terrified and blurted it out. Did I hit the aorta? But the experienced doctor on staff came behind her. They applied some kind of little technique, and it stopped the bleeding immediately, and he lived. Meanwhile, on a bed next to, and that's going on all the time in this hospital, there was an old man who was about to die. This old man who was about to die needed to go to the Lord, although it was never mentioned on TV. He was in pain because his lungs were filling up. He's at that place to where they tell you in the hospital, we don't have an answer for this problem. Because if we do one thing to get rid of the fluid, we hurt another thing. It's going to kill him. He's going to die. His only living relative was an 18-year-old young man who had been caring for him for a long time, just himself. All his future lay in the boy's hands. And he could not sign a release to allow the old gentleman to pass away. He struggled, and he struggled with it. Finally, in a beautiful scene at his bedside, the old man was telling the boy that he needed to speak to his grandson, and he called his grandson by name. Of course, his grandson was right there with him. And it's in that moment that he recognized that his grandfather, his father rather, not his grandfather, but his father, no longer recognized his own son. But he said so pointedly, I need to speak to my son. Instead of living for the grandfather and insisting that he live on the earth, the, grand, the son miraculously sort of finally got it. They needed to let him go, and he could sign the song. He said, he said earlier in the show that his father loved music, and so he said, is there any way we can get music around my father's bed while we unconnect the machines that he's connected to? I've been there. I've been there during the Christmas season. So, yes, I was sitting there in my quietness, a distance from everybody, hovering my own pain. And the nurse, the old doctor, rather, said, yes, there's a way we can get music there. And then when he showed the scene around his bed, there was Mufasa, ready for the first time in months to sing again around his bedside, to sing the song of life, gathered around with the other characters in the play that they had been performing together for so long, and then they began in a cappella to sing the song while one by one they let the man go into the arms of someone they apparently did not know. Mufasa cannot release any human into eternity. No pretty song, no lovely story, No touching, poignant moment can save anyone when they make that journey from life on this earth 
and to life that is beyond. No lack of understanding, no lack of experience can be made up for. No reality in pretty settings or powerful stories can change the fact that they are once again on TV. The one thing that this man needed to hear from his son was not a word his son spoke to him, at least not on TV. And that would be all right if it were just on TV. But it is occurring around us continually and constantly. Hope is the candle that we lit this morning. The promise of hope is the theme of this whole Christmas season. And I must confess, in these years that I've been on this earth, I have watched a great country begin the slide that so many other great countries have made in the past days. And it seems almost unbelievable to me that so many people in this country, in this land where the word is proclaimed so often, where freedom of religion is so obvious and welcoming in our midst, where it is so apparently easy to get a hold of a Bible, to read the gospel story, to hear someone tell you about Jesus, that so many are dying without the hope that is the only hope for life on this earth and for life in death. I've wandered away from my text. You'll be happy to know I've got four good pages of notes, which is a lot for me. So I can stay a long time. But so far, none of what I said is in my notes. <laughs> but I was convinced as I was watching that of one thing, as I was batting away the tear from my eye, that there are so many around us who do not claim the hope of faith in Jesus Christ as the ground of their hope and their reality. We, the church, during this season of Advent, must lean into that task. Not just this church, church people, period. This is the first Sunday of a new year. The Christian year, an outline of the experience of Christ while he was here on this earth. The life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. This part of the season, Advent, is founded on the belief that Sundays are the Lord's day. The first day of the week is the foundation of the whole Christian year. 52 weeks out of the year, we are called together to proclaim the Lord's death and resurrection, to believe and to celebrate that he lives again and lives with the Father. The psalmist could not know that reality, for Christ had not yet come. This cycle, the Christian year is broken into two main cycles. The first cycle is a cycle of Advent, Christmas, and Epiphany. And the second cycle of the Christian year is Lent, Easter, and Pentecost. Each one of them, both Advent and Lent, in each of those two cycles, are the part of the preparation period leading up to the periods of celebration in the Christian year. We have to prepare for Christmas in order to experience the celebration of Christmas. If we just wander into Christmas Day or Christmas night, we have missed the preparation that it takes to get ready for Christ to come. Because you see, Christ didn't just come in the flesh. Christ continues to come in the Word and the Spirit. Continues to come and come and come again to all of those who will hear in the word, to all of those who are open to the presence of Christ in their life. It doesn't matter how dire their circumstances on earth may be. If they are willing to lean into the Christ who is coming, they will receive from the power of the Holy Spirit 
the touch of God in their life. And that changes everything. It changes everything. You would think by now, after these hundreds of years in this new country, because of the heights it's reached, and because much of which is attributed to the Christian faith in our borders, that we would understand that as a nature. But we do not. Many people don't even know why we have purple colors at Advent. But they are a sign of the royalty and penitence that comes with the season. Many people don't know in some churches where they have blue. is because blue is the color of hope. And mixed in with the theme of Advent is a yearning for God meeting the needs of his people who, like the psalmist, are crying out out of necessity for a God who would come to them and deliver them from the world and the circumstances in which they live, for a God who would make life meaningful, not only life here on earth, but life eternally. What a gift it is to live on this side of Jesus, to know the true meaning of the coming of Christ and the meaning of Jesus in our world. Now, when you think about this word hope in Scripture, both in the Old Testament and the New Testament. When you look for it, they talk about hope often in the Scriptures and they use words that have no religious connotation. And it's not related, and especially in the Old Testament, in relation to a good or a bad event, but rather hope is based on whether or not the hope is futile or valid. What is their foundation has to do with how Meaningful is their hope. If you're hoping for that which can't happen, you have a futile hope. If you're hoping for that which can happen, then it's based on something that has a chance to happen. I would surmise that there's quite a few of us who live with that kind of hope today. It's not particularly spiritual, but it has to do with earthly things. It has to do with a hope that things will get better that we will be cured by the doctors or by the scientists. It has a hope that bad economics will turn around. It has a hope that the country will get politically better and somehow our nation will be saved. We have so much that we have hope in, and so often I'm afraid that it is indeed founded on human strength and human understandings. Whenever the Old Testament speaks of hope theologically, it is always on the basis of ultimate confidence in the issue that is facing humanity because of the God that they know who is the hope of Israel. It is in the God of Israel that they hope. Their safety, their provision, their forgiveness is tied into their misunderstanding, if a way, if you will, to their faithfulness in following the laws of God. And so they, like the psalmist, continue to talk about being faithful and God helping them to be faithful. Because even in the midst of their faithfulness, by the time the psalmist was writing these psalms, they had begun to realize that in the midst of our faithfulness, there's always this unfaithfulness. There's always this part of being human that we struggle against, that we never will be perfect, and yet we know God is a God of mercy and love. We know that God is a God of forgiveness. Even in the Old Testament, they understood that, but they didn't have the words or the objective reality of the birth of the Christ to hold them together in the hope that they had. The attitudes of their people in that day in the Old Testament were to trust into God. Their lives were characterized by an eagerness to take refuge in God from their foes. You read about it all through the Old Testament. They had confident expectation of good and future goodness because of the goodness of God. Not because they thought they might be delivered in their own lifetime, 
from the actual events going on, but because they believed that God would deliver them as a nation. And finally, they were a waiting with patience and courage kind of people for the Lord to deliver them, to save them. That's why it was expressed with such endurance, because they were God's people, and they had learned to believe in the love and mercy of God. Its future orientation is not tied to a specific present reality. So therefore, unexpected shifts in their reality inspired endurance, not fear, nor unbelief. And I'm afraid in today's world, because God does not deliver people miraculously, as some people seem to promote all the time, that they lose their confidence and their trust in God. They lose their hope. Some people, when miracles prayed for do not happen in their lifetime, they assume that means that God did not hear their prayer. They assume that means that God does not care. They assume, many of them, that means that God does not really exist. In the New Testament, the biblical scriptures make it clear that there's an expectation concerning the future which correlates to one's desires from a human perspective. Hope is often based upon what we want, what we need, what we desire. A human situation, so to speak, without very much religious content. I'm afraid it's like much of our prayers today as a Christian body, the church in these United States. We pray that everyone might be like us, you know, needing to build more closets to hold all their junk, you know, piling up lots of money so that when they retire, they'll retire safely and comfortably. You know what I'm talking about, right? You know what I'm talking about, desires that are really quite separate from the hope that is in Jesus Christ for life that is meaningful on this earth. You're saying, Pastor, are you calling on me to spend all my money in my 401k? Not really, but if you want to, I'm okay with it. If God is telling you to do it, do it. By the way, if you haven't done it yourself, you may wake up tomorrow morning and it may have happened for you. <laughs> you know those retirement funds that are so we count on so much that we think can save us? Oh, my, my, my. It's just such a long sermon. It's such a short time. I don't want to preach until Jesus comes. That would be Christmas Eve. But theologically in the New Testament, hope involves all facets of of the relationship that people have with God, between God and his people. Hope is built in Jesus, who is the author and source of any hope that is real. Hope is a sustaining power that is unseen but is certain. Hope is created and finds root in the hearts of those whose object of hope is God himself. Thus, hope is God-grounded, God-sustained, and God-directed. Sometimes you would think that hope depends on hiring a youth pastor. That's the right one. So he's in favor of that. But hope doesn't lie there. Hope doesn't lie in having a great children's pastor. It doesn't, 
It doesn't follow that when you have a great missionary pastor, an apostle in your church who attends before he goes off to save the world, that that is where your hope lies. Hope does not lie in your pastor or who the bishop sends you. Hope does not lie, does not alive and well in your heart because of your strengths or your own ability to think or to reason or to teach or to save. Hope, in fact, you can't save anybody and neither can I. We cannot save one soul and we cannot be saved by any other one person. They may walk into an emergency room and save our physical life, but that won't do a thing for our eternal life. Only God in Jesus Christ can save us from eternal separation from God. Only God in Jesus Christ can save this world. Only God and we who tell the story of God and step back and watch to see what God does have a chance to see someone come to know God. They don't come to know us and therefore appreciate God. They come to know God and appreciate us as one who told the story about God. Don't you ever let yourself fall into the temptation of sharing a story of where you gave a witness and 10,000 were saved. Hallelujah, didn't I do well? No, you didn't do anything. A new building won't do anything. Oh, it may create a place for people together. A new playground, it may give us a chance to share the gospel story more, but it won't do anything by itself. The only name by which people can be saved and have hope is Jesus Christ. Period. Exclamation point. And it's over. Hope rests upon God's calling and upon God's promise. The promise of our hope is his calling. And his hope in us that the perils of this world will drive us to the one ground of our everlasting life. The main fundamental question of life is in whom or what can we trust? Sometimes we trust on being the first one in line at the annual Black Friday sale. Sometimes we trust on politicians who are trying to get elected or those who have. Sometimes we trust in nations believing that they are definitely the main tool of God in the world today. Sometimes we seek security from the things of this world, though we're surrounded by the threat of terrorists, almost weekly, sometimes daily stories of those who've been killed as they went about their normal lives quite innocently. We hear stories of natural disasters and economic uncertainties, and we often cry out in the midst of, who's going to save us? Who can we elect? Who can we follow? Science needs to be better. Doctors need to be without fault. Politicians, we need the wisest one available. We need more money. After all, if we have enough money and friends and family, we're good. Or are we? Sometimes we're deceived into believing that the only one we really trust is ourselves our own ideas, how we think, what we can proceed with our limited minds. And so some say, how can there be a God who would heal some and not heal others? And they're doubting God because of the fallacy of their own mind 
They have learned to believe that what they cannot conceive must not be real. Oh, puny humans. We have no ability or concept to think like God except what he gave us. We don't get it. But we can get who is our hope. We can get in whom we can trust. We can learn how to build our lives from the teachings of the scriptures on that which is permanent and eternal. The question of trust is a question of salvation. Lately, as always at this time of year, it seems like, I'm surrounded by the knowledge and the understanding that many of the people I've known and loved in my life, many of the people who have spoke wisdom and knowledge into my life are no longer walking the face of this earth. I'm not going to say most of them because that would discredit all the people I know who are still alive today. But it's such a wide variety of people as I've moved around just this little piece of God's earth. From community to community and met men and women who spoke into me words of assurance and confidence and trust. Who spoke into me wisdom and knowledge that a young pastor and then an older pastor and now, oh yeah, just another old preacher. They continue to speak to me words that shape my life because their words are not about themselves but their words or about the God who is our hope. I'm going to see my grandfather again. Both the one who died on Christmas Eve and the one who died on a day when I thought it could not happen. I'm going to hold my dad's hand again and look into his eyes as a son looks into his father's eyes and he will speak in the first 10 minutes, more words than he spoke most of his life. He was a silent type. I'm going to see him again. And the only reason I'm going to see him again is because of Jesus. Period. I know it's not popular to say Jesus is the only way today. I'm sorry. I'm not going to speak words that encourage people to go to hell. Jesus is the one in whom we all are saved. He is the ground of the hope. That's God's plan, not mine. And you say, well, that's not my plan. Okay. God gave you the head to make up your own mind. But if you think you have a plan that will change God's plan, you are sadly mistaken. If you think because you do not recognize him that you won't someday bow in his feet, in his presence, and be judged for whether you are his or not, you are sadly mistaken. If you think because you can't understand him, he must not be real, you are sadly mistaken. If you think you can't figure out all the ways he's acting, make sense out of it, and so therefore you'll just reject God, you have made a huge blunder. You're not called, first of all, to be knowledgeable. You're called, first of all, to be faithful. 
to trust in the God that you understand. And the part that you don't understand will be revealed to you as you go along to the depth that you can understand it. Some of us have really small brains. I'm fortunate. I have one of those. A really small brain. It's so simple for me. I trust God in Jesus Christ. Period. I don't trust my own self because I know Get ready, it's coming again. Even I have a sin or two (laughs) this morning. We all struggle in this body of flesh. And the world is crying around us as they struggle, and they are reaching for so many of the wrong things. When you hear them for their eternal sake, And for your love of Christ, just say gently and lovingly to them that God is your hope for all things, at all times, in all situations. And that you have found that whether realized on this earth or not, that hope will sustain you through eternity. That is called a Christocentric perspective. Yeah, it is Christ-centered understanding of life. Every other thing I understand is second to that, period. For those who are going to share this story in the gospel of Christ in other countries where people struggle with things we have forgot how to struggle for, most of us have forgot what it's like to struggle for food or for clean drinking water. Most of us have forgot what it's like to struggle for enough money just to exist. And thank God for that. But there are people around us who are still struggling in mighty ways. Christ wants to come to them. And he probably wants to use us to do that. And by the way, as I wrote a friend last night, a thank you note. I told him that I was praying for him to have a fresh visitation of the coming of our Lord. And so I am praying for you that this season of Advent, Christ will come again anew and afresh to you. Whether you're 95 or 9 or 5, that whatever you know of Christ will be added to by Christ coming to your heart again as you prepare to receive him this holy season. If you're here today and you don't know that Jesus that one in whom you can have trust in, I would love to talk to you about that one. If you're here today and you've been trying to find Christ on your own, learn on your own, you need a church family. You need a group of people who will hold on to you and to whom they need you to hold on to them. We're here for you if you want to be part of us as we stand and sing our closing song this morning. Stand and join me in song.